Jade Marley, Harper Marie, William Cole, Jordan and Zoe, Bo Adam Richards, Amelia Terry Evelyn, Bridger, Mae Valentina, Reese Bryant, Bella Eva, Isaac Paul, Freeman Ellis. Hi, welcome to The Rare Life. I'm your host, Madeline Cheney. I am honored to give you episode 36 in honor of Rare Disease Day 2021. Because this podcast is centered around parents of children with rare conditions, we're focusing on celebrating these amazing children who have rare diseases and the equally amazing parents who handle so very much. I started planning this collaborative episode months ago. I wanted to make it very special. I did that by not highlighting just one parent and child, but 12. In the short audio clips they submitted, you will notice different perspectives and different focuses. But I was struck by one thing that they all had in common, and that is their fierce and unconditional love for their children. And that is a beautiful thing. Many of these parents are active on Instagram, sharing their thoughts and journeys with their children. In the show notes, you will find links to their accounts if you want to follow them there. This episode is celebrating not just these 12 parents and their children, but also all parents and children in the world that are affected by rare diseases. And so I hope that you know that you are seen and I know that you are there and we are celebrating you as well with this episode. Before we jump in and hear about these stellar children, I thought I'd share a few fun facts about rare diseases. So I thought it would be appropriate to start out with a definition of a rare disease because just last year I realized that Kimball falls under this category because I don't think of them as having a disease. But the National Organization for Rare Disorders defines it as any disorder, illness, or condition affecting fewer than 200,000 people. And that is the definition in the United States. In different countries of the world, it varies in the number of people having the condition to be considered rare. I thought that was interesting, too. There are 7,000 diseases that are considered rare in the United States. One out of 10 people in the U.S. are affected by a rare disease, and 50% of those are children. Many of our children. While making this episode, I had parents of rare in mind, certainly, but another population as well. I envisioned this episode being shared with friends and families. I want the world to celebrate right along with us our strong and stellar children and the heartache and joys that accompany the rare life. As you're listening today, please consider sharing this episode with those you love and invite them to celebrate right along with us. Let's jump in and hear what these 12 parents have to say about their children. To start off, we get to hear a bit about Eliza. My daughter's name is Eliza Grace and she's aged four. She has a rare syndrome called Charge Syndrome and it affects roughly one in 10,000 births. Charge Syndrome, like many other syndromes, has a long list of things it can affect. With Eliza, it affects her hearing. She's deaf in both ears. She wears hearing aids and uses sign language and speech to communicate. She has a tracheostomy to help her breathe. She's tube-fed at the moment and doesn't take anything orally. She has many sensory issues that we're working on. She has poor mobility and balance, so she can find walking a challenge at times. 
at first it felt like when we got the diagnosis the world had crumbled us our feet and I didn't think I'd be able to pick the pieces up but it's surprising how quickly everything just became our new normal. The scariest moment was after Eliza had had her tracheostomy in place and we was ready to take her home from hospital for the first time. I felt like I just wanted to hold on to the door frame and didn't think I'd be able to manage without the security of the hospital and all the doctors and nurses, but I even surprised myself. I want people to know about Eliza that even though she faces many challenges, operations, therapies and procedures, she does all this with determination and always a smile on her face. And lastly, she has proven to everybody there's nothing in life that you can't achieve because she just smashes everything that she puts her mind to. And I'm super proud of her as a mom. This resonated so much with me. It's amazing how we can get through things we think are impossible when we just have to. And we love our children. Thank you for sharing Eliza and her determination with us. We now get to hear from Morgan about her daughter, Harper. My name is Morgan and my husband's name is Grant. Our daughter's name is Harper Marie. We are from just south of Tampa, Florida. The name of Harper's diagnosis, um, it doesn't have a name. She is the only one in the world with the documented translocation that she has. The technical name is an unbalanced translocation between the X and the third chromosome. The emotions that we initially had when we discovered her diagnosis, I would say probably was confusion and frustration with the lack of knowledge around her diagnosis. What I want people to know that are in the same position as us is this isolating feeling is something that is consistent with every special needs or rare or complex mom that I've ever talked to. So just know you're not alone. And then I just think in general, the common response that I get a lot of times when we try and talk about our journey is, I'm so sorry. And it's really not something that we are sorry for or that we feel sorry for. It has taken a lot of time to come to terms with that and to accept that. But we are so thankful and blessed and have so much gratitude that this is the journey that we are in because uh, we strongly believe that we are so much stronger people because we are in this journey. Morgan, I love that you pointed out how isolated we all feel. Special needs parenting, and especially in the rare realm, is so isolating. But knowing that others feel alone too can offset that isolation a bit. And shout out to social media in helping with that. I also love the gratitude you found in this journey. I think that's so neat and it's definitely something I want to work on. Next, we get to hear from Chelsea about her son, Bridger. I'm Chelsea, also known as Bridger's mom, which is definitely a title I will always cherish. We live in rural Utah. We love rural Utah. We want to live here forever, but it does present challenges when it comes to specialty care for Bridger. He has over 20 doctors and therapists that live over two and a half to three hours away. So it does make for long days when we do have doctor appointments. Bridger was diagnosed with a leukodystrophy. Um, He is seven years old now. We got that diagnosis at six months of age. 
We still to this day do not have an actual named diagnosis. We just know it fits under the leukodystrophy category, which is a white matter brain disease. Um, the day that I got that news was actually on Valentine's Day. Of all 365 days of the year it could happen, it was Valentine's Day. I had just walked into my daughter's elementary school. I was going to be helping with a Valentine party. And I'd gotten in the classroom and was just getting started helping with the party and my phone rang. And I knew that day I would be getting a call from the doctor. So I grabbed the call, ran out of the classroom, and it was the doctor calling to explain the results from the MRI. And as I was listening to the news and trying to process, I remember just standing there in shock, disbelief. I had the hardest time even just hearing the words he was saying and realizing like, this is my child that has this, this is so like out of body experience. And I went back in the classroom and told the teacher, I am so sorry, I've got to go. And I literally walked out of the party, but I, I was so shook to the core and I needed time to process. And then of course we all want to go research and find anything and everything out there on the diagnosis. Right. So um, so some things I would want people to know about Arbridger, based on all his diagnoses, he could just throw in the towel, be miserable, and have every right to be miserable because he has been dealt an awful hand. But he's not. He's happy. He's full of life. Every day he laughs. He smiles. He's nonverbal, but he communicates more to me through no words than many could even um, possibly communicate. It's it's so interesting how you can communicate heart to heart and not use a word. And that has been the most beautiful thing to witness, to see someone so happy and willing to just accept it. He's accepted it. And so I have too. It has been quite an adventure. And I have been taught so much through someone that hasn't even spoken a single word. Thank you, Chelsea. I think the day we find out about our children's diagnosis or that something is wrong is a day that many of us will never forget. And I venture to guess you think of it every Valentine's Day. The love you have for Bridger is so evident and I think it's just so amazing. What a precious bond you share. Next, we get to hear from Nikki about her daughter, Amelia. My name is Nikki. I live in Washington State with my husband, Jared, and our 20-month-old daughter, Amelia Terry Evelyn. Amelia is one of about 75 girls in the world with NA10-related disorder, which is also sometimes called Ogden syndrome. We have been told that the odds of having a child with a point mutation on the NA10 gene is about 1 in 11 million. And Amelia's mutation was de novo, so it was a random occurrence and not inherited. We first realized something was a little off with Amelia when she was about four days old. She was having problems feeding and wasn't growing like she should. So her pediatrician sent us to the hospital for a week to be monitored. During this time, my husband and I really processed our emotions very differently, and I'm so happy now looking back that it worked out that way. As a first-time mom, I think I was very much in denial early on that anything was seriously wrong with my child. I was still very optimistic that Amelia was a slow starter and that she would eventually just catch up. 
My husband, on the other hand, had this gut feeling that we were in for a very long, hard road. And with all the unknowns and worry, he just fell into this major depression. I really felt that during this time, we relied heavily on my optimism to get us through the days. By the time Amelia got her official diagnosis at 13 months, and she was very obviously severely delayed in her milestones, my husband had found this incredible acceptance and peace. And I, on the other hand, was just entering my grief period. I'm so happy that we process our sadness at different times because just like I was able to help my husband through his low points, he was able to help me through mine. And we came out the other side, the strong, happy family who loves their daughter so much. We still have those moments of grief where we think, why us and why her? And we worry for her future, but they are fleeting and the good days far outnumber the bad. We have gotten much more involved in the patient organization for Amelia's disorder in the last few months as well, and that's really immensely helped us feel empowered as rare disease parents. I want the world to know that Amelia is such a happy and bright girl. She tries so hard in therapy and impresses us daily with her determination. She absolutely adores water, music, and other children, especially her older cousin Freya, which is great because Amelia is going to be a big sister in 2021. We are so excited to watch her gain skills and grow. We know we are here to help Amelia reach her full potential, but she absolutely helped us reach ours. Nikki, I love your insight on the different periods of grief for you and your husband. It's so cool that that happened, but I think it's even cooler that you're able to recognize that. I think I often miss those little miracles. Next up, we have Kim sharing all about her son, Bo. Hi there. My name is Kim. I am a mama to a sweet little boy named Bo Adam Richard. He is three in December. Um, his diagnosis is a 16Q, 11.2 to 12.2 microdeletion. That means on his 16th chromosome, he is missing a small piece of DNA. This is an incredibly rare diagnosis. There are only three other kiddos in the world with the same diagnosis. All of them are impacted a little bit differently, but have the same kind of markers. So he has chronic kidney disease and will require a kidney transplant, likely in his childhood. He has hearing loss and wears hearing aids. He has hypotonia, so low muscle tone. And he has a feeding tube due to the low muscle tone and kidney disease as he needs some extra fluids and just can't get them in. I experienced a massive range of emotions when we got Bo's diagnosis. Obviously, originally, I was very shocked, very hurt, very upset, and very lost. I didn't, I didn't know what this meant for us. Um, but as we've gone through this journey, it's honestly become one of the most humbling, heartwarming journeys I have ever been on. It's changed me as a person. And so for now, I don't see it as, you know, a negative in my life. It's actually the most positive thing that has ever happened to me. I just want people to know that Outside of this massive diagnosis, Bo is this happy, sweet, funny little guy. He's so determined and, you know, he wants everybody to laugh and smile along with him. And he loves when you cheer him on. And 
he is honestly just the biggest little cuddle bug too. Um, he has changed so many people's lives, not only mine, my husband's, my daughter's, our families, our friends. Um, and we've just been really, really grateful to be on this journey with him. Kim, thank you so much for sharing about Bo. Kimball also has hypotonia and a feeding tube for that and hearing loss with hearing aids. And I always feel so excited when I connect with other parents that just have similar symptoms and birth defects because it's a way for us to connect regardless of the rareness of our overall syndromes. So yay for things in common. <laughs> Next, we get to hear from Jamie about her children, Reese and Bella. My child's name is Reese Bryant, age 14. And my other child's name is Bella Eva, age 12. And we live in Colorado. The emotions that I experienced when I initially found out my children were different or had a rare genetic disorder wasn't any different than what I had been feeling because they weren't diagnosed until they were 10 and 8 years old with a genetic condition. So for me, it was just a way to know if there were any other um, medical things I had to check into or just to better help me facilitate them to reach their full potential. And what I want people to know about my children are that they are two kids out of 30 some in the world diagnosed currently with Tello 2 or Yu Hoover Fong syndrome. Um, and that my children are perfect the way they are. They're the same person as they were before they got the diagnosis. They don't need to be fixed, but they need to be connected with as a person. Um, you know, I knew that receiving that genetic diagnosis was not a sentence. It wasn't, you're going to dictate the rest of their life because they were 10 and eight years old at the time I found out. And they had already come so far. The doctors, based on their pre presentation when they were babies and toddlers, said, oh, they will never do this and they'll never do that. And I just didn't listen to them. I challenged them. I provided them with experience and exposure to the normal things in life. I challenged them. I gave them things they needed to flourish. And I listened to my gut. And it wasn't through immersing them into therapies, but exposing them to all those normal life things. And I became a practitioner in a number of the areas that I knew they needed help in, such as I was already a PT. So I became an ABM neuromovement practitioner. I became a fast forward provider. I became an ILS practitioner. Um, and I'm soon to become a QRI provider. So as a parent, I delved in and sought knowledge and education to help my children, to help them reach their full potential just because they have a diagnosis doesn't mean that's what their outcome is going to be because there's so little known about their condition. And I also learned to connect with them and that you can't just throw everything at them and expect them to learn. 
they learn their experience and not from their experience. And that not all stimulation is information, as Anat Banyal says. So my children are amazing, smart, wonderful beings, and so are yours. It's it's about connecting with them and learning who they are and what they need to thrive and not just throwing everything in the book at them and expecting them to absorb it. And just knowing that, you know, a diagnosis isn't isn't a sentence. It's not what defines them. Each of my children have the same diagnosis, but they are completely different and have, you know, amazing personalities. Jamie, thank you so much for contributing. I love your tenacity and proactivity in helping your children and also your faith in your children. That's so admirable. I think it's an important reminder for me and probably a lot of us that we're not here to fix our children. I always struggle with this, but that connection is really the number one thing we can do for our children. I just love that. Thank you. Next, we get to hear from Bethany about her son, William. My son, William Cole, is three years old. We live in Seattle, Washington. Will has Golden Heart Syndrome, which is also known as oculo-auriculo-vertebral spectrum. One in every three to 5,000 babies is born with Golden Heart. When I first found out about William's differences, I think I kind of went numb. I remember texting my husband after the ultrasound saying, you know, something's wrong with our baby. Then when he was born and I heard the list of problems that they were concerned about, I could barely even process what they were saying. It just, it, it was this huge list of things that I had no idea were coming and it was really scary. But after a while, I think I felt more equipped to understand and adjust to new diagnoses. And I think your brain kind of makes that adjustment so that you really can learn how to handle just about anything. And I think it works that way with medical complexity as well. When people see William, I want them to know that he is the strongest, happiest boy. He loves to have fun. He loves to make friends. If somebody spends even just the tiniest bit of time getting to know him and playing with him, he will just love them forever. He loves to speak sign language to people and uh, to relate with people as much as possible. And it's just so fun to watch him. Um, I mean, he has been through so much, so, so much in his little life. And the fact that he just keeps on smiling really is challenging to me because he just never seems to stop trying. He never gives up. He just keeps on going and going no matter what goes wrong. And I just, I really could not be more proud of him. Thank you, Bethany. I had similar emotions of overwhelm after my son's birth. And you're so right. We really can adapt to that, but it also can be so painful. (laughs) Next, we get to hear from Brianna about her son, Isaac. Hi, I'm Brianna and I am the mother to an adorable little boy named Isaac Paul. He is 18 months old. We are originally from Utah and we are currently stationed in San Diego, California. Isaac was born in San Diego and has only ever lived in San Diego. Um, 
The name of his diagnosis is Allen Harrington Dudley syndrome, or otherwise known as MCT8 deficiency. There are only about 320 of these individuals in the world. Isaac was perfectly normal at birth, and for the first three months of his life, he was a totally normal baby. He even thought he was going to be fine up until about 11 months of life. Um, so to do some math for you, we've only really lived with this diagnosis for about seven months. Um, but Isaac was completely normal birth, completely normal first three months. He started to show a little bit of hypotonia around four months. Um, and so we took him to physical therapy because his pediatrician said, oh, he might get, you know, he might get better. It just happens sometimes. Um, so we took him to physical therapy just to work on some of the things and everybody thought it would be a short-term thing. And then he started to lose his ability to suckle really well on a bottle and to swallow. And so then we started to take him to occupational therapy to work on that. And then he wasn't gaining weight. So we saw neurology and then we saw endocrinology and they saw that he had a little bit of trouble with his thyroid. So we decided to medicate it. All the while, we were really confused. We were concerned. We didn't know what was going on. And we just had a lot of emotions of like, what is happening to our normal baby? Um, and that was just really difficult for us. Um, it wasn't until about 10 months when we were admitted inpatient to the hospital. And we did a full workup on him, and he got his NG2 place that we really realized that there's probably something wrong with our son, and it might not be something that we get to fix, and that was really hard. Um, at 11 months, he was diagnosed with Allen Herndon Dudley syndrome, and it changed our world. I want people to know that Isaac is wonderful, full of laughter. He loves to play. He is sassy and he has opinions. Thank you so much, Brianna. I loved hearing about your journey with Isaac. Next, we get to hear from Misty about her son, Freeman. Hi, everyone. My child's name is Freeman Ellis. He would be five years old. Um, but sadly, he passed away when he was 10 months old, and we miss him every single day. We live in Arkansas. Freeman had Beals syndrome, and we found this out through genetic testing while he was in the children's hospital. Um, what was even more surprising was they also tested my husband and me, and it showed that I had Beals syndrome, although... Um, I don't show any symptoms, but then they also tested my parents and it showed that my dad has Beale syndrome. Um, he also doesn't show any, any symptoms. Um, we were told at the time that only 11 people in the world have Beals. Um, I'm now part of a Facebook group for people with Beals and it, there's not that many, but there are more than 11 people. So I think it's a little more common than what we originally thought, but it's still very, very rare. Um, it used to be that it was thought to be the same as Marfan syndrome, 
Um, actually, the first person who diagnosed Marfan syndrome actually diagnosed it, but it was Beals. Um, and now they've separated the two. Um, with Beals syndrome, you're supposed to have very tight hands, so your fingers turn in, and, and very tight feet, so your feet turn in, scoliosis, um, some things like that. Freeman didn't show any of those. My dad or, or I don't as well. And then, um, but Freeman did have a lot of midline um, disorders. And so he had a horseshoe shaped kidney. Um, he had an extra rib. He had two holes in his heart. Um, his intestines and stomach were webbed together where he needed surgery so that food could flow through. Um, he also had a coloboma in one eye where the black part of his eye drips down into a, like a keyhole shape. Um, and then we found out that he was blind in that eye. Um, when I first learned um, about Freeman's diagnoses, um, just because they, they never could figure out exactly why Freeman had these medical complexities when they didn't really show for Beals, but then they always said he had severe Beals. Um, I was, I wasn't ready for it. We, we, Freeman was born, um, here at our house and then we, he was life flighted to Arkansas Children's. And so, um, we got at the hospital, they started telling us all of these things that Freeman had different, um, that were, that were different with Freeman than other babies. And, I just wasn't ready to hear it. Um, we'd been at the hospital for 10 minutes and I remember just thinking, no, he's, he's perfect. And I, I just wasn't ready. Um, Freeman was a miracle. Um, he was my miracle and it's so strange because since Freeman, about a year and a half after Freeman passed away, we started trying to see if we could have another baby and, um, never knew getting pregnant was so hard. Uh, before Freeman, I had had one early on miscarriage. And then since Freeman, uh, we've gotten pregnant twice on our own, but we've lost both of those babies, one at 10 weeks and one at 12 weeks. Um, now we've started fertility treatments and we've had two failed IUIs. Um, we've had two egg retrievals. Um, we just had a round, we just had a egg transfer, embryo transfer. Um, but then I just found out that I lost that embryo, uh, this week actually. Um, but something that's interesting from going through that is all of my embryos so far have had beals. Um, but we have had to, we, we have had the opportunity to see that the embryo we, we just transferred, the Beals gene was scrambled the same way that my dad and I are scrambled with our Beals gene. Um, but they were able to test, uh, take DNA that was stored somewhere um, from Freeman and see that the two embryos that we were able to get this past time um, are scrambled the same as Freeman. But also one is a triploid, which I had a miscarriage from a triploid where it's three 
sets of chromosomes, um, so we can't transfer that one. Um, so it's just we're we're almost out of options, and that's frustrating. But we've learned a lot, and at the same time, it's just super confusing because no one knows how to fix it, um, and no one knows why. Uh, but I guess I always hope that some of this information can be used later to help more people. I love Freeman and I, I miss everything about him. Um, but even though he would be five, almost six now, um, I think he'll, he'll always be my little baby. And uh, I think back to where um, Freeman would be fed every three hours. And so sometimes even before we were about to feed him through his G-tube, um, he would start smacking his lips. And I can just, I still hear it sometimes. I just hear him, you know, in my arms going. Um, I just thought that was always so sweet. And um, I loved his eyebrows. He really had very expressive eyebrows. Um, you could just tell when he was thinking really hard looking at your face if you were talking with him. And he would scrunch his eyebrows up. And um, I just love him so much. Thank you so much, Misty. I'm so honored to include you and Freeman. Your perspective is invaluable. I just love hearing about your sweet relationship with him. After Freeman passed away, Misty founded the Free Arm Tube Feeding Assistant to help other parents with their tube-fed children. And I love her and what she's done to honor Freeman. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to check out that company that she's created. Next, we get to hear from Felicia about Jade. Hi, my name is Felicia Reed, and my daughter's name is Jade Marley. She's 12 years old. We live on a small farm in the country in Oregon. Jade has a genetic disorder called Turner syndrome. Turner syndrome mainly affects girls. Girls with Turner syndrome are missing all or part of one of their X chromosomes. One in 2,000 girls are born with Turner syndrome, so it's a fairly rare condition. There's only a 2% chance of surviving to birth when diagnosed during pregnancy. There are many symptoms associated with Turner syndrome, mainly short stature, heart and kidney defects, celiac disease, and many other potential conditions. When I found out my daughter's body was formed differently, I was very shocked. I was also very sad and scared and worried. I had never heard of Turner syndrome before, and we were basically given a 0% chance that she would survive due to a cystic hygroma that they saw during an ultrasound. A cystic hygroma is basically fluid around the neck, which indicates an issue with the pregnancy. She also had a two-vessel umbilical cord, which was also a telltale sign that something was wrong. It was such a scary diagnosis, and in all honesty, it felt like a death sentence. What I want people to know about Jade is that she's an overcomer. She surpassed all of the odds during my pregnancy and was born actually fairly healthy. She has the most amazing attitude about her condition. She doesn't let it define her or bring her down. She has to get growth hormone shots every night and take medication daily. She has celiac disease and has to be on a gluten-free diet 
but despite all of this, she is always so positive and never complains. She's brave, she's kind, she loves to spread hope and joy to others, especially those who are receiving a difficult diagnosis. She is my hero, and I want you to know that a rare disorder is not a death sentence, especially when it comes to Turner syndrome. Jade is amazing. What an example she is to all of us. Next, we get to hear from Carolyn about Jordan Ann. Jordan Ann Zaley is six years old. She has a rare gene change called CHD5. CHD5 is critical for brain development and function. And although there's still research being done on this gene, they are pretty confident that this is what is causing my daughter's symptoms. She uh, struggled from day one. She had jaundice as a newborn, and she also had severe reflux and apnea. At four months old, she started having abnormal hand movements, uh, tremors, and would spike 104, 105 degree fevers every four to six weeks. And a lot of times we couldn't figure out exactly where the fevers were coming from. At three years old, she got approved to go to a research study called the Undiagnosed Diseases Network. They had us come out. They did a whole workup, had her see their specialist, and they did a whole exome that confirmed the CHD5. And they also diagnosed her with severe autism and severe language impairment. She is nonverbal, has physical disabilities, including optic nerve hypoplasia. And she struggles with balance, walking certain distances, and she also foot drags. When I first heard about the CHD5, I was scared. I really didn't know exactly what that was. I still kind of don't. They are still researching it, but we've been pretty much alone on this journey as far as like finding others with this rare gene. But it's been about three years since this diagnosis and we, still don't know much about it besides that they are pretty confident that this is what's causing her issues. It would be great to find others with this. And even though she struggles every day, she is always so happy. She always has a smile on her face. Thank you, Carolyn. The rare journey can be so lonely, especially when it takes so long to find answers. And I hope you can eventually find others with this gene, but I also hope you feel part of the rare disease community. We are right here with you. I connected with Carolyn through the Facebook group, Parents of Children with Rare Conditions, and I hope you join that too if you want to find that community. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Last but not least, we have Dana sharing about her daughter, Maeve. So my daughter's name is Maeve Valentina. We gave her a very dramatic name because she is a very dramatic little girl. Um, she is two years old. We actually just had her second birthday about a week and a half ago, and we just can't believe we have a toddler now. Um, it seems just like yesterday we were sitting in the NICU with her, so time flies by. Um, my daughter Maeve was born with a rare genetic syndrome um, known as DDX3X. Wish they had picked a different name, but you know, leave it to scientists to make something that's not super user friendly um, to describe your child's genetic syndrome. 
DDX3X is a relatively newly diagnosed um, genetic syndrome that impacts mostly girls due to its coding errors on the X chromosome. And so there's currently only about 500 cases in the world. So when we found out that Maeve had DDX3X, we were obviously devastated. Um, to be completely honest, we got all her diagnoses very slowly. It was kind of a trickle effect. So we first found out about her heart defect. Then we found out about her lung issues. Then we found out about her brain abnormalities and that she would have seizures um, and that she'd be cognitively impaired, probably moderately to severely. Then we found out about her swallowing issues and then all her physical deformities. Um, and finally, we found out that the reason for all of this was her genetic, her genetic syndrome. And I remember the day that we found out the genetic counselor came in and she started listing all the things that were wrong with my daughter. And I just started to laugh like a crazy person because in my head, I was sitting there looking at this beautiful child thinking, you're just telling me all the negatives and you're not telling me, congratulations, here's a beautiful human. There's nothing wrong with them the way that they were built. And I just thought it just for some reason struck me as so ridiculous that I, I was laughing and they actually, I think, thought I needed probably like psychiatric meds. Um, so, you know, finding out about all these things, it was heartbreaking. It's not one anybody would choose for their child. And it took some time for us to kind of come to terms with everything that she had and has. And to be honest, we're still grieving. And I think we'll be grieving for the rest of our life, um, as many parents with a child with different needs often does. That being said, I would love for people to know that in terms of Maeve, Maeve is a beautiful wonderful, brave, resilient individual. She makes me laugh every day. She lights up a room. She has a way of just connecting with people through all her funny little facial expressions. And honestly, it sounds cheesy, but she's my hero. And I'm not one of those people who tends to look at somebody as an idol. But to me, it's pretty cool that I get to live with my hero every day and just be amazed by so much that she's overcome. And so to all the parents out there who are getting a new diagnosis, I think the only advice that I have is know that it will be hard and it will be sad and it will not be what you wanted. But at the end of the day, your child is going to be amazing and they are amazing and they are going to rock this world better than any other kid out there. And you are going to love every minute of every day with them and know that you're not alone in this walk of life. Thank you, Dana. Finding out each medical issue, as you said, in a trickle effect is so painful. Lingering grief is probably a given part of this journey. A huge thank you to all who participated and shared a little bit about their child and their journey. Each of your stories are beautiful in their own way. As I mentioned, you can find links to Instagram accounts for most of these awesome moms in the show notes. And again, I invite you to share this episode so that others can celebrate right along with us and honor our children. Next week, we have episode 37, the story of Lily with the hilarious Jess Wolf. Don't miss it. See you then.